Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, June 3rd, 2022. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me with his reporting and editorial analysis. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So from a sales perspective, 2022 is starting to come into focus for the trade book industry, Andrew. The latest sales figures tell an upbeat tale. Yeah, so since our last talk, we've gotten a few additional reports uh, in from the AAP and from MPD Bookscan. And I think, yeah, the year really is starting to round into shape. And I think the good news is that things appear to be largely aligning with expectations. You know, we'll start with, you know, by catching up with the AAP numbers, which are now in for the first quarter of 2022. And they show the trade book revenues overall fell 6.4% in March, the last month. We already reported January and February, which leaves the trade market up about 2% for the first quarter over 2021. And we'll say it again, you know, 2021 was an incredible sales year. So to be 2% up over that incredible sales year is quite a feat. Now, overall, across all categories, excluding the pre-K, the K-12 market, which was delayed for March 2022, industry sales were down about 4.2% for the month of March. And, you know, leaving year-to-date total revenues up for publishers about 1.1% for the year. So with quarter one in the books, the industry seems to be holding serve, right? At least in terms of revenues uh, with 2021, which I think is where we expected things would be after the first quarter. Maybe even a little better than where we thought things would be after the first quarter. But I do think that this all gives us a little hope that this year, that 2022 is going to be solid, even if it's not going to be a favorable comparison uh, compared to the 2021, which of course was just a blockbuster year. Now, one other thing that I want to point out is that listeners may note the discrepancies between the unit sales being reported by MPD, which were down 8.9% in the first quarter, versus the revenues, which are flat and up a little for the first quarter. And this is something to keep an eye on because we have to understand that even if unit sales continue to fall as expected, publisher revenues could still perform better right? I mean, not necessarily better than last year, but at least better than the unit sales would suggest. And what we've observed in the last year or so is things like fewer returns, right? And there's more bookstores that are open again. So we may see a bump in stock. Uh, Also, we might, uh, we know that more and more readers got used to digital. So if they can't find print book editions, then they may go ahead and opt for the digital. We see more readers doing that. So, you know, this, of course, even though digital sales are are softening from their pandemic level. So I think the point I just want to make here is don't be surprised if the publisher's revenues actually perform a little better than the unit sales might suggest. According to MBD Bookscan, an unusual market segment appears to be aiding those sales, Andrew, banned books. Tell us about that. Yeah, fascinating report from MPD Bookscan and their excellent analyst, Kristen McLean, track the sales of books that have been challenged. And this comes in the wake of this troubling wave of book bans and educational gag orders that has emerged over the last year, longer even than the last year. Now, as our listeners will recall, the number of books banned uh, or attempted to be banned in the last year in schools and libraries hit record levels. You know, this is tracked by the American Library Association, for example, and PEN America. But the coverage of this surge in bands included specific titles. For example, Mouse, uh, Art Spiegelman's book, Anti-Racist Baby by Ibram X. Kendi. And uh, the most, probably the biggest one is Maya Kobabi's Gender Queer. But these books, because they've been mentioned in all this media, have actually seen significant sales increases. Now, Krista McLean makes a really, really good point in, in, in her note around this, this research. And that's that 
the books that get the coverage in the media, such as, you know, Genderqueer and uh, Anti-Racist Baby, that these books do tend to sell more. But for the hundreds and hundreds of other titles that are out there being banned in this wave but aren't getting shouted out in the articles, well, they do not do better. In fact, I think it would be really interesting to see the effect of the bans on those titles because I'm pretty sure it's negative, right? First and foremost, probably owing to the soft censorship that's going on out there, which is, of course, when a librarian or a teacher says, well, I'm just not going to order this book because I'll get in trouble with my board or I'll get in trouble with my supervisor. And of course, you know, just having less visibility for these titles in libraries and schools obviously translates to fewer sales. But for some titles, the spike has really been noticeable, as I said. So the ALA's most challenged book was Gender Queer, and that experienced significant growth. There was uh, All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson, which was also targeted. Also saw significant growth when it appeared in the media. Uh, Anti-Racist Baby by Ingram X. Kennedy surged after Texas Senator Ted Cruz raised it during a Supreme Court confirmation hearing. And of course, you know, we talked about it on this show after it was banned by a Tennessee school board in February. Art Spiegelman's Pulitzer Prize winning Mouse and Mouse 2 also jumped about 50 percent. Their sales jumped in the month immediately following the news of that action in Tennessee. And remember last year, you know, when we talked about the disingenuous sort of framing of the Dr. Seuss's estate decision to no longer publish a handful of early works because of racial insensitivities, I'm sure our, our listeners will recall that, you know, Fox News and the whole, you know, right wing media crowd cried cancel culture, even though this no one got canceled. This was the decision of the estate to no longer sell these books. Anyway, it turns out, as reported by MPD Bookscan, that Dr. Seuss titles in the wake of that decision and of the coverage the cancel culture boom that, you know, the cry that went out, well, Dr. Seuss titles surged in the immediate aftermath of that. And further, the net effect, MPD reports, was a major boost for juvenile fiction across the entire month of March. In Virginia, a court has ordered a hearing to determine if two books on sale in a Barnes & Noble outlet are obscene, as one politician has claimed. Right-to-read advocates are understandably alarmed. Yeah, so in the midst of all these book bannings in libraries and schools came this chilling development in Virginia, right, where uh, a state representative named Tim Anderson on May 18th filed a legal challenge to Maya Kobabi's Gender Queer and Sarah J. Moss's A Court of Mist and Fury. And the, the filing came under this kind of older, rather obscure obscenity law that's on the books in Virginia. Anderson, we should note is an arch conservative. He's running for Congress and he's running for Congress on a platform. You will not be surprised to know that says he will fight for family values. And on May 18th, 2022, this is what he did with lawyers. He saw an order to show cause citing this obscenity law, which was granted by the court. The court actually found that there was probable cause that these books, uh, Mike Bobby's Genderqueer and Sarah J. Moss's A Court of Mist and Fury might be obscene for unrestricted viewing by minors. Now, the court has ordered the publishers and the authors to appear, which can also be a written filing, I'm told, but they have to appear before the court within 21 days of receiving the order, which went out last week, to tell the court, to explain to the court why the court should not find their books obscene and why they should not be pulled from bookstore shelves. And we should note that a number of libraries and schools in Virginia have already pulled Maya Kobabi's book, but bookstores, you know, that would be a shocking outcome. And this week... A number of groups, including the ACLU and the American Booksellers for Free Expression, the ALA, uh, the AAP and the Authors Guild, PEN America, and even Barnes & Noble, where these books were initially cited from, sounded the alarm over this extraordinary development. 
So could this suit succeed in having those two very popular titles removed from public view in bookstores? Well, that's a really good question, you know, and I really don't know the answer because this is really, it's never really happened in my adult life. It certainly hasn't happened in my professional life. You know, these kinds of obscenity laws are mostly a relic of a bygone era. Uh, the Virginia law at issue here allows any Virginia citizen to file a complaint against any book sold in the state. And if a judge finds that there's cause for it to be seen as obscene, well, it can be deemed obscene and pulled from bookshelves. In a statement, opponents of this action note that no book has been banned for obscenity in the United States for more than 50 years. I just find that to be remarkable because, you know, the courts have held that prohibiting the sale of books is a form of censorship that cannot be tolerated under the First Amendment. And we literally have not seen a book ruled to be obscene in half a century. Furthermore, the Supreme Court has established a pretty narrow test for obscenity that requires that the text as a whole, even if it references sex or nudity, it has to lack, for example, serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value in order for it to be found obscene and to be banned on the basis of being obscene or to be pulled from public view, shall we say, on the basis of being obscene. And neither of the books in this case come close to meeting the Supreme Court's test for obscenity. So I would be shocked if the court actually upholds this. But, you know, I could be wrong. You know, Gender Queer is this multi-award winning coming of age story. It's a graphic novel. Clearly, it has serious literary value. And a core of Mist and Fury is this widely praised work with serious literary and artistic value, too, right? It's, it's a bestseller. So it's really perplexing. But, you know, no question, it's a very good way to fundraise for a political campaign, right? You know, and on that score, I think this action in Virginia is really representative of the actions that we're seeing sweeping the nation right now, which is basically we're seeing this national political movement to activate voters on the right being executed on a hyper-local level. And to me, it really represents the most dangerous assaults on our freedom to read in my lifetime. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on the program today. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on the next podcast from CCC, book markets everywhere have much in common, from the challenges of online commerce to bestseller lists dominated by authors with internationally recognized brands. Of course, national differences remain despite globalization. As part of the recent U.S. book show, I took a world tour of book publishing with journalists and analysts who cover developments in Africa, Asia, Europe, the Middle East, and South America. From Madrid, Spain, industry analyst Javier Celaya told me how the Spanish language status as a world language is changing the relationship that Spanish publishers have traditionally had with their South American audiences and their South American counterparts. We've seen, especially in the last two years, as more content has uh, come up in, in digital format, especially in audio. We speak the same language, as you mentioned. Spanish is spoken by more than half a million people, uh, 500 million people worldwide. But we have different accents. Uh, we have Spanish from Spain, Castilian Spanish, and they have Latin American accent. And what we've seen is that uh, Latin American accent uh, sells better in the Hispanic U.S. Uh, market. So many publishers like Penguin Random House and Planeta are producing their audio content with Latin American accent in order to have a better uh, a commercial performance in Latin America together with uh, the U.S. market. A world of books coming on the next CCC podcast. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening to this Velocity of Content podcast from CCC. Mm-hmm.